Hi, I'm Iman. And I'm Kurt. And this is Rebranding Mental Health. Hey, Kurt. Hey, good morning, Iman. Wow. For a moment before I just greeted you with that salutation, I just, I wanted to do something different. And I just jumped right in instead of taking a pause. And it, it just came out like kind of weird. Like, Hi. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I do I, that all the time. Yeah. And I'm not really, it's not a judgment on myself. It's just, it's just an observation. And yeah. So. Do you ever do like that high-low? Like you're going to say hi or you're going to say hello and that turns into like <laughs> hi low. <laughs> you know, I wish that I could offer you some support and <laughs> say that I have, but I have not. I don't think that I have. However, I do have, you know, some, I feel like I have some memory issues sometimes and so, and I may have done that and I just don't remember. You know, I think we all have our awkwardness yeah but it's always way worse in our own head Mm. than i think it is to other people yes this is true and it brings me to like you know that intentional salutation like one thing that i um started to do is to be very conscientious of when i say hey guys because Mm. not everybody's a guy I say that too. Yeah. Yeah. And so I will catch myself and then I'll hear people saying it and be even more hyper aware of it. And I'll be like, I'm not a guy. Sometimes I'll say that if I know that person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And then they kind of pause like, whoa. Yeah. I never thought about that. If it's, if it's someone I don't know, I I don't tend to have that response because it might, Mm -hmm. it might be viewed like I'm being rude or something or just, Mm -hmm. but yeah, that's our little casual conversation how to say hello to people yes be intentional <laughs> and, awkward. and conscientious Hola. So, <laughs> so everybody kind of has like their trademark right do you ever have that person that just that's kind of how they yeah say hello like that's just their normal mm-hmm. they've got like their own intro yeah you know i feel like i was discussing this with a colleague i feel like people should just have like their own intro music You know what I mean? Like we have like Bevan provided us in this wonderful podcast, Mm. Rebranding Mental Health. Yes. Oh, we talked about Bevan in a previous episode and we could just talk about him all day. We will hope to invite Bevan. Well, we don't hope to. We will invite Bevan and hope he accepts to come and and have a conversation because he's a a pretty amazing guy just to talk about some of the things that he's done in his life. And yeah, so... Let's move to our topic today, which is really discussing presenting a case for mental health core curriculum, you know, really offering this curriculum, offering mental health as total health curriculum, but also as a core piece of what we learn and having standards for it. Like we do math, like we do reading. We're very academic focused, really making sure that we meet these standards that are set by the Department of Education, you know, national standards and state standards. Why not have that in mental health and physical health? We have physical health classes and we touch on certain aspects, but it's never been a consistent part. And this is really what we want to talk about today is really why is it necessary, even though that seems like a rhetorical question, but also what does that look like? Mm-hmm. So that, that'll be, this may end up being, you know, a, a two-part series as well, and we'll, and we'll just see. But, you know, it could actually be like a 10-part series, really. It really could. Yeah. 
You know, a little background. There was some um, data that came out. This was May 31st. 2022. And we'll, we'll make sure when we reference, you know, different things, we will make sure that we're putting it in our, you know, in our details and our links and stuff so you can um, see it. But 70% of public schools reported an increase um, in, in the percentage of their students seeking mental health services at school since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. And Roughly three quarters, so 76% of schools also reported an increase in staff voicing concerns about their students exhibiting symptoms such as depression, anxiety, and trauma. I also want to say that this doesn't even reflect what staff was reporting of their own mental health and concerns and, and stress levels. So schools have reported, you know, that they're seeing an increase in students seeking mental health services. This is my point in the rebranding concept. Why not offer curriculum rather than services? Why is it a service? Why is this a service that is only sought when there are behaviors that are have become dysfunctional or irregular or unhelpful or harmful? Why is that? I, I honestly have no idea. I I'm shocked that this hasn't been a conversation that's been had sooner in our society, honestly. Yeah, and me too, because it just seems like as a whole, um, as, as a culture, uh, Western culture, and quite frankly, some of this applies on a, on a global level um, in different ways, but let's just speak to what we know, which is we live here, is we have been action by fire. So let's wait things are on fire, sometimes literally, before we do anything. Let's wait till people are dying or have died, literally, and then let's talk about suicide. Let's talk about violence in the schools. Ooh, I'm going to probably need to mute my mic from time to time because I'm going to need to take some deep breaths because we get so distracted and things become so political and so agenda focused and so like just go in a completely different direction than where we need to be going, which is understanding that this is a rooted system issue. It's people say to me, you know, after a school shooting, you know, do you think this is a mental health issue? And I, my answer is, look, this is, this is an issue of many things, right? Many things. So let's start talking about that. And so part of this goal is to really understand that this core curriculum is imperative. If we want to see some change in the world and the overall well-being of our children who are our future, we need to get on board and start having conversations about how to bring this program or programs like the one I've created into our world and into our society and into our communities and our organizations and our schools that we can start creating a more healthy individual, a total health, physical, mental, spiritual, all of it. And that really just ties into the concept of quality of life. Yes. And I think that that's something that we don't really talk enough about. 
um, we focus on maybe like little pieces of it, but it's that total health that you're talking about. It's we don't frequently enough sort of acknowledge the complexity of what that means. Yes, and I thanks for using that word total health. Not that I've you know coined it in any way or trademarked it, but I I use total intentionally. Um, as a, a an alternative to holistic. Holistic is a wonderful word, and it's been used and introduced. I just feel like it hasn't caught on. Like it's become, again, another one of those words that has been interpreted and assumed to be certain ways. And it's just, it's a totality. We are, as human beings, we are many things. We are a body. We are a mind. You know, we are organs. We are skin. We're the total person needs to be addressed in every capacity. And again, we can specialize just like we do if we're having a, a foot issue, we go to a podiatrist or an orthopedic surgeon if we need to have some additional interventions. Same thing. We, we, we can specialize, but we still need to stop separating physical and mental health. You really can't talk about one without the other. No. And it goes both ways. You can't really talk about your physical health without acknowledging the effects that physical health issues have on your mental health. And you really can't talk about mental health without talking about physical health because a lot of times the things that you can do to improve your physical health will also improve your mental health. Exactly. Yes. And and as you were saying that, and I'm listening to you, I, I'm just thinking to, you know, the words you're saying are so impactful because it's, it's also about modeling. And when we talk about this core curriculum, I'm not just talking about, you know, in the schools. We'll use the schools as an example, as a starting point. This education isn't just for the students. It's for the staff, too. The staff have to be getting the same information. And, and they may be getting it later, right? Because they're older and they're, they're not in the school system now. But they're practicing it. They're so many times I hear people say, oh, we had a mindfulness, you know, and I've given mindfulness workshops, but we've had someone come in and then we did a, a professional development, you know, day and, and it was four hours and we talked about mindfulness. However, afterwards, there's no supports, there's no practical applications, and then it's just like you move on. And that's not helpful. And so really being able to have a, um, a curriculum and a system in place that is evolving and fluid and you can practice it and and there's accountability and there's um, support that is really important and we need it absolutely and and mental health is a practice you know and you've talked a lot about that before i think in one of your newsletters you'd spoken about happiness as a practice Mm -hmm. it's it's not something that it's just one done oh we're having a mental health day or we're having a a whatever and then it's it's done it's gone it's it was just kind of a, a Field trip, you know. Ooh, field trip. I, <laughs> I love that. I love field trips. We should get I to go too. on field trips as adults. We can. Yeah. We can do that. I want to go on a field trip. All right. Let's do it. All right. Field trip. <laughs> uh, stay tuned for more information. <laughs> but thank you for that because I the practice is is part of it, right? Just like your physical health, if you're conditioning yourself, if you want to get you know, in better shape, or if you, you got to practice, it's all about practice. And happiness is a practice. The interesting thing is, is we don't necessarily have to practice being sad mm. or practice yeah. being angry. So my theory on that is because, you know, 
negative emotions produce unpleasant experiences and we tend to want to move away from those. And so we don't want to have to practice it. What I teach people is sit with it. You don't have to practice it and you don't have to like keep, because again, we are wired to avoid pain and seek pleasure. So it, it would be abnormal for us. Okay. Using that word in quotations, because you can't see it, um, to, to practice unhappiness. And so when, when you meet someone, uh, you know, uh, me as a, as a therapist, meet someone who has depression and has practiced that energy. That's a really weird concept for them to wrap their head around. Why would I practice this? That's very interesting. However, when you are feeling something, you do certain things, you behave certain ways, you say things, your, your body moves in certain ways, you are practicing it. And so if you can try to shift from that and develop different practices, even when you're not feeling that, even when you're not feeling happy, you're, you practice it, guess what? We, we know from study upon study upon study that practice hours and how, you, how many hours you dedicate to a practice determines your success for it. Well, and this really gets into another concept that hopefully we'll get to cover in a future session, but neuroplasticity. Our brains can change even yes. well into adulthood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that that's a great point. There's so much, this goes back to this core curriculum. We are discovering and, and uncovering and gaining insight into the brain and the body and how it works together, you know, like with trauma research and we have a wealth of information that people aren't learning unless they are in a secondary education, unless they're at university level and it's like an advanced class. I mean, not sometimes not even your general education classes, you know, that you have to take like that. That's not, that doesn't seem right to me. I mean, I hate to use the word right, but why aren't we taking this wealth of information and plugging it in at the earliest levels and I know that things are constantly changing and what we thought was, you know, look, now we know cigarettes kill, right? right. But, I, but what I'm saying is we, do, we don't even, a lot of people don't even have access to this information. Um, we assume everybody has the internet. Some people don't. Right. So it's like, this is why that core curriculum is so important and really putting like some accountability and standards, you know, into, into place so that we that we have that we're coming close to that time. But, but before, you know, we wrap up on this topic of, um, you know, introducing the core curriculum and I, and I suspect we're going to be talking about this in various forms, you know, with other guests and just, you know, in, in, in other aspects of, of really understanding what are we talking about when we're talking about rebranding mental health and what does that curriculum look like? Part of that curriculum is having this as a class, having this as this kind of training as you would math, as you would reading on a regular basis. And what does that look like? And it, and it comes in different forms. There's practicing, like the California De, um, Department of Education requires 400 minutes of physical ed- education every 10 days for students in grades 7 through 12 and 200 minutes for students in grades 1 through 6. So why can't we do that? Again, why, why don't we have those standards we have them for physical. And, and this is why putting it into a core curriculum just seems to make more sense so that we're not, you know, separating it out. And we're just, this is, we're requiring this. This is what we do. 
it should be one of the main things that we're focusing on all the way throughout school and, and even beyond, you know, children as well. So my background is I work, you know, in adult education. I work at a local technical college and um, and we serve students of all ages, you know, um, especially like in comparison to like a four year, like we have quite a bit more of a range of, okay. of ages. Um, our, our average age is significantly higher than what you would find at, at a four year. And I think, you know, and that's something I think hopefully we can talk about too is, is how does that curriculum kind of change, evolve, grow as you start with like the youngest of children yes. and you get to like the teenage adolescent years and then you get into adulthood. Um, how, how does that kind of um, adapt to where people are at at those different life stages? Yeah, that's a, a gr- again, that's a great topic that will be, this topic will really be infused in other topics. We'll be talking about, when we talk about rebranding mental health on the podcast, rebranding mental health, it's, there's, there's going to be seeds planted all along the way. We're going to focus on main to- topics, but there will be some applications to what that looks like. And yeah, it has to be developmentally appropriate. When you're teaching a six-year-old who has no abstract thinking capabilities, you, you got to be a little bit more concrete and you got to give them some general, a general framework for how their brain works and then how to apply that. So yeah, makes sense. So I look forward to all of you joining us again on our next episode and show. So please continue to subscribe and spread the word. Thank you for being here with us. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you, Kurt.